This is Richard Cloutier Reports on 680 CJOB. An officer's memorial fund says it was the deadliest day for American law officers since 9-11, when it says 72 officers were killed. It takes Dallas resident Jalissa Jackson back to her hometown's darkest day. I think the biggest thing that we've had, something like this, was back in when... JFK died. Like the five officers, the president was killed by sniper fire just a few blocks from yesterday's attack. Sagar Megani, Washington. Dallas's police chief says a suspect in the deadly overnight attack on police officers told negotiators that he acted alone and was unaffiliated with any group. Not everybody's really believing that right now. Chief David Brown said at a news conference that the suspect also said he was upset about the recent police shootings and wanted to kill white people, particularly white officers. Let's get further perspective on this. Ryan Moran joins us. He is director of the National Research Center for Truth and Reconciliation at the University of Manitoba. Are there parallels here? Well, there are, in the sense that both the United States and Canada are working through a long and complicated history. It just seems that, uh, you know, what's happening in states right now is it's just taking on an, an air of violence uh, that, fortunately, so far, we're not seeing up here in Canada. Is the availability of guns the difference in your view? Well, you know, I think there's been a lot of commentators over the years that have, you know, people like Michael Moore have drawn parallels on accessibility to guns and gun violence. I, I mean, that's not my area of expertise. It's uh, also a different culture, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's well. I mean, the United States and Canada certainly are different countries, different culture, uh, and and different histories for sure. And in the present, uh, it seems like Canada is really taking an active and collective step towards uh, addressing some of the very complicated and, and and very disturbing histories that we have in this country in a, in a way that's not happening many other places in the world right now. And in this way, the relationship generally between police and uh, visible minorities is a lot better in this country, isn't it? Well, it's not like we don't have a lot of uh, examples of uh, poor actions by police, especially towards uh, Indigenous peoples. Uh, you know, we can remember back to the Starlight Tours that were happening in Saskatchewan. We, of course, had the uh, episodes down at Ipperwash uh, involving the OPP and, and the killing of Dudley George. So it's not like this stuff hasn't happened in the country. But as a country... Somehow we are hearing that uh, this needs to change and that direct action needs to occur via individuals, via citizens, via organizations to stop that type of violence and to repair some of these uh, these wounds that have been created via the, the very dark history that we have in this country. And how have we had some measures of success towards that goal? Well, I think if you look at the uh, example of the uh, Saskatoon Police Force, uh, where, to refresh uh, listeners' minds, this is where police officers were picking up uh, Indigenous peoples, uh, driving them to the outskirts of town, and then dropping them off in winter, uh, some of whom died, later died. Uh, Not good, uh, terrible behavior, uh, and uh, there was a significant inquiry into that. Since that point, you know, at the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's national event in, in Saskatoon, uh, going back about three years ago, the police force stood up and said, look, I mean, we have realized the error of our ways and we are committing to never again seeing that type of abuse or misbehavior uh, on the part of our police officers happen again. 
And they committed to a series of actions. They publicly announced this at, at the event. Uh, they've put up a memorial in town, and, and they have an active plan and program that they are working through with their police officers to ensure their officers understand uh, the history and um, proceed in um, a manner you know, appropriate for law enforcement officers, uh, you know, what citizens expect and demand out of of people in uniform. Ryan Moran is with us on 680 CJOB. Richard Cloutier reporting. He's the director of the National Research Centre for Truth and Reconciliation. Do you see in the recipe that we followed here in Canada a way out for our friends in the United States on this? I've been reflecting on what's going on in the states a lot. I, you know, I I think it's troubling. It's 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 concerning. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that are concerning in the world right now, and and it seems like, for whatever reason, um, there are there are portions of the world where things are moving further apart towards trying to move things towards common ground, common understanding, shared vision, shared reality, and this is manifesting itself in violence. So what's happening here in this country and what's, what's happened here in this country is we have given voice to those that have been the victim of all of those bad state policies and church policies uh, of the residential schools. And we gave voice to them because as a country we felt that it was high time we needed to listen and understand the perspective of those that were living in the marginalized situations and, and in the victimized situations. And we're also going to do that as well with the upcoming Missing, uh, missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Inquiry. So we're addressing these issues head on and we're doing this in formal, um, large-scale national programs to bring people and their voices forward. You know, I don't see that happening right now in the United States. Uh, the voice is coming forward through protest. It's coming forward through through public gathering. Uh, it's it's people are trying to tell society that what is happening is not right, but there perhaps aren't those large structural pieces in place yet to uh, fully address those. And we're doing that here in this country, and, and what I think is, is critical is that in giving voice to the marginalized as a society, we've said, holy smokes, like, we aren't as good as we thought we were. And that's what's compelled us as a society to move towards reconciliation, to find common ground, to look at the commonalities between us and tr- try and make this world a, a better place in a way that's nonviolent and, and in a way that seeks to to create a safe and equitable world for our children and ourselves. Yet I still see, and I still think that we're seeing this even more so in a place like Winnipeg, where um, there are more and more predominantly uh, visible immigrant neighborhoods or parts of neighborhoods or parts or total streets that um, we are, uh, and and I'll use the word tribe in the sense that... um, with recent immigration, you see clusters of Filipinos together uh, mm-hmm. out in my way in, in the South Winnipeg. We'll see clusters of East Indian communities and of uh, of Chinese communities and a generation just choosing to, to hang with their own. Yet another generation, their offspring and going to school, integrating with others. That's the generation I'm not worried about. But I, I still think that there is... Still isolationism, and with isolationism, 
sometimes breeds misunderstanding and fear and all those things that can produce uh, at times at the nth degree violence. But I still see it in our own backyard. And certainly you scratch the surface, racism still is alive and well in a place like Winnipeg. Well, these are the issues that we're trying to work work through. And without a doubt, uh, racism is alive and well in Winnipeg. Moreover, Winnipeg is also, I think, a city that's still on the front lines of a lot of these really misguided policies that have been in place that have created large numbers of, of marginalized or, or poor uh, Indigenous uh, peoples uh, that are still living out the effects of the residential schools and a host of other sort of traumas that have been inflicted on Indigenous peoples. And, you know, I I don't know if, I don't, you know, I'm not an expert in, in how to you know, where people should live or anything like that. But I, I, what I have heard uh, from the work that we've been doing in reconciliation is that if we keep our eye on the prize and if we keep our eye on the long-term vision of where we want to go, the, and in the words of the Commission, the establishment and maintenance of mutually respectful relationships, then we've got something that we can collectively work towards and we've got something that we can strive towards and we can say, hey, look, we know generally that there's things that need to change but let's embrace that and let's embrace change because the risks of not changing are much greater than our sort of uh, developed through change i think you know if 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 things don't change in the country and if things aren't righted if past wrongs are not righted then we are just as susceptible to some of the violence that we're seeing in the States or, or even elsewhere in the world. And that's what's at stake here in this work of reconciliation. Ry Moran joining us live on 680 CJOB. He is director of the National Research Centre for Truth and Reconciliation at the University of Manitoba. Richard Cloutier reports on 680 CJOB.